You're listening to The Jackie Daly Show. Find me online at JackieDaly.com. Jackie No E, daily like every day. And follow me and continue the conversation on the X at Jackie Daly Host. Uh, do I want to promote my Facebook page? I don't like that company at all. Uh, if you must, you can find me there too. YouTube, Instagram, all of that. All right. Um, next week, I will be on stage at the NAEP conference in Houston, the North American Prospects Expo, the biggest oil and gas mega party on earth in Houston, Texas, February 7th through the 9th. This is where deals happen. The George R. Brown Convention Center, again, Houston. I'll be on stage um, interviewing two of my favorite governors, Greg Abbott of Texas and Kevin Stitt of Oklahoma. Uh, We are acquaintances. I've met them many times. And I'll be asking them the tough questions on oil and gas and whether or not they believe in an energy transition and what this looks like for their states. So what else? Uh, I'll be doing charitable work as well on the ground in Houston, um, doing lots of meetings, working the floor. So if you are at the NAEP, you will see me there. And after that, there is another event called CERA Week. C-E-R-A, CERA Week, also in Houston, also at the George R. Brown Convention Center, March 18th through the 22nd. I usually attend the CERA, um, or have many times in the past at least, as press. And, um, you know, in the past, it was kind of, I went back and forth on which conference was my favorite. CIRA is not as much of a party, that's for sure. Uh, but this is where all of the the sheikhs and the oligarchs, the petrostate dictators, I mean everyone, is there. All the big guys, uh, the seven sisters, offspring, and, and all of that. So, great place. It's all about geopolitics. This is where you can learn what's really going on. Uh, as opposed to what you're reading on the world section of the newspaper. So, um, in heavy rotation in Houston over the next month or so. Okay, if you have not seen, or if you don't know about, the Underreported Story Society, Underreported Story Society with Phelan McAleer, who's been on my show multiple times because of his documentary film, Frack Nation, Frack Nation, telling the truth about fracking and debunking the myths. And then his partner uh, in media, Anne McElhenney, they're from Northern Ireland. They do amazing stories. These are stories you won't hear anywhere else. And right now, they are on the ground in D.C., in court, covering every single day the trial of Michael Mann versus Mark Stein, defamation trial. Michael Mann is the professor who created the infamous hockey stick graph about global warming, the one that's supposed to terrify your children and grandchildren into never having children, that one, to deny you children and grandchildren. Um, It's the scary hockey stick um, that's designed to basically show you that, um, according to Mr. Mann, temperature was stable for so long during modern history, and then kaboom, Uh, With the use of fossil fuels and the Industrial Revolution, temperatures shot up. Well, Mark Stein, Mark Stein is an opinion journalist. He is a comedian. You probably know him. He guest hosted Rush Limbaugh's show 
forever for a long, long, long time uh, and and has his own gig. British accent, but he's Canadian. I'm sure you've seen him with the beard. Um, super funny. This guy apparently has never lost a court case. And he is being sued for defamation because he essentially said that Michael Mann's hockey stick is a fraud. That's basically the bottom line. He, you know, Mann is saying that he was being accused of dishonesty and not being fit for his profession. And these are grounds for defamation where the statement is false. And because uh, Mann is a public figure, he would also have to show that Stein, Mark Stein, knew the statement was false in order to win this lawsuit. Well, what this really comes down to, as far as I'm concerned, is a question. Is it still legal to challenge the climate narrative? Do we still have free speech? Can I, can I still do the show? Can we still challenge the climate narrative without being, um, you know, blown out of the water sued with lawfare um you 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 could hemorrhage cash and lose everything you have and i'll tell you um you know it's not the only issue obviously do you have the right to question elections do you have the right to uh question a school board for their decisions these are very serious issues anyone and everyone can make up that you said something um that wasn't true and you have to show up and defend yourself whether it's true or whether it's not. So that is what is happening to Mark Stein, in my opinion. I love, again, the Underreported Story Society doing a podcast every single day. They give you reenacted actual testimony from the court to show you what's going on. What's amazing is Mark Stein is representing himself. You heard me correctly. Mark Stein is representing himself. He is a very funny guy. He's a smart guy. He's doing an amazing job. And that makes this trial extremely entertaining. I don't know if he's doing this because he wants it to be a platform for himself or if he, if he's out of money. You know what? When you're on the, the receiving end of lawfare, you hemorrhage cash by the millions. It's extremely expensive. Very few people can afford to fight legally. And it, it's, a, it's, it's probably the, one of the biggest injustices of the American legal system, whether it's criminal or civil. You just about have to be rich, wealthy, to mount any kind of significant legal challenge and have a chance. And here we have Mark Stein just giving him heck. I love Listening, and these are reenactments because apparently um, that would say to me that in, in this particular court, they have rules about whether or not there can be cameras um, or recordings and whatever. So the fact that Ann and Phelan are doing this as reenactments tells me what the rules are. Uh, I, I, I just strongly commend this to your listening. Um, there's a lot on the line here. It's a 12-year trial. I mean, Mark Stein is a warrior for being out there and fighting it so hard. I suppose he could have settled and made it go away. I assume that offer was made. I'm not sure. But but um, typically, these things settle before going to trial. It's very unusual. 
very unusual for uh, cases to go to trial these days. But here we are. And perhaps it's taking a big toll on Mark Stein. I hope not. But I can tell you it's not easy. I don't care who you are or what you have going for you, um, how good your self-esteem and and courage and stamina, it'll wear you down. And so uh, Stein has had apparently at least one heart attack in the last two years. This is very public. Apparently he had one and didn't know what it was and then had another while broadcasting. And you hear this so often, right? People are broadcasting, they have strokes, they fall down, they collapse, they die, they have heart attacks. Um, You know, I can tell you, I I have a little device I wear, a ring that measures my heart rate. And when I make a show, my heart rate goes up. Absolutely. So there's there's a type of adrenaline or energy that you call upon. And I guess Mark Stein, in fact, was doing that, which would be typical, and it had a heart attack. So... He is going into the courtroom in a wheelchair, yet doing these amazing, eloquent presentations, opening statements, uh, testimony. Truly, it is entertaining. It is a delight to listen to. Um, so you can find it very easily through Annan Phelan, unreportedstorysociety.com. And I'm enjoying watching this. I feel sorry for Mark Stein. Maybe he's representing himself because he has no money left. That is entirely possible. Um, I don't. I don't know that at all. I'm just saying it. It does make you wonder. I mean, when's the last time that you heard of a non-lawyer representing themselves? This is 12 years of litigation that would bankrupt just about anybody. So, I hope that's not the situation. I'm pulling for Mark Stein again. The case is about Mark Stein and another defendant saying that Michael Mann and his hockey stick graph on global warming, on which so much media coverage and policy, I believe, has been based. I mean, it's been cited endlessly. It's probably one of the most cited pieces of research in the world. They're saying it's a fraud. One might think that um, this will be covered by the opinion exception to defamation, Um, Although they got pretty specific about the fact that this is not based in fact, and they lay out their case and uh, do a compelling job. We'll see what the court thinks about it. This is in D.C. So look out, you know, the jury will be pulled from the citizens of D.C. And I don't know, they vote about 95 percent Democrat. Um, That is a place where and and I'll say this, whether D.C. or elsewhere, unfortunately, What a person believes about climate change just about certainly tells you how they vote. It is one of the most polarized issues, and it should not be. If this were really about science, it would not be polarized. It would be closer to 50-50. But unfortunately, I I feel that, that Mark Stein has an extremely hostile jury here. That would almost certainly be the case. So let's see what happens. The jury is the fact finder. Understand that. He can always appeal to the Court of Appeals or even to the Supreme Court, um, ultimately, if this is federal court. But but they don't do a finding of fact. Fact finding is for the local jury, not the appeals court. They take questions of law for review. 
as opposed to disputing facts. So Mr. Stein has quite the difficult path in front of him. You're listening to The Jackie Daly Show. You're listening to The Jackie Daly Show. Listen, before I move off of this um, Michael Mann story, or Mark Stein story, as I would feel it is, I just want you to understand, every single day, these people, uh, the journalists, uh, Phelan McAleer, who made Frack Nation, and also uh, the film Gosnell, which was about the biggest serial killer in America, and also Ferguson, uh, which is about the racial riots in Ferguson, Missouri. This guy and Ann McElhaney, they make content that is based on the transcripts, like grand jury transcripts. So this is what you call primary source material. I'm constantly complaining because so much of what we get through the news or podcasts or anywhere, uh, articles, it's filtered, right? It's filtered through a journalist who presumably, supposedly goes to the primary source information and then tells you what happened. So rather than you having to be in Washington, D.C., in a courtroom for eight hours a day, listening to testimony, Ann and Phelan give it to you. And these are trustworthy people, not only in a you know one-hour condensed podcast, but they actually do reenactments with the actual grand jury testimony. That's about as good as it gets. That's about as good as it gets. I really, if there's one thing that's lost today, it's that everyone learns their news through what used to be called tweets. What do they call it now? Posts, X post, um, or or a five minute news segment that's going to give you a very one sided approach that often has zero zero quotes or primary source material from what's really going on. If you are really into um, the climate debate, free speech, law, or you're just a nerd like me and you love courtroom drama, I'm a lawyer after all, this is an important podcast. They're only doing it short term on this particular trial, so it's for a limited time only. People are often saying to me, why do you direct people to others' podcasts? You know what? I don't have sharp elbows. I care a lot about the best stories getting through to you on energy and environment policy. And of course, courtroom drama and court cases are number one stories about real people with villains and victims and all of that. So they're interesting. But unfortunately, in today's world, way too much of our lives are dictated by court cases rather than legislatures. This is all supposed to be done in the legislature, right? The people we elect and send to a capital to make law. Unfortunately, the courts have diverted from their proper role, which is to say what the law is, not what it should be. I'll say that again. The judiciary, as a branch of government, as distinct from the legislature, has the job of saying what the law is, not what it should be. What it should be is what the legislature does because you elect them. The judges are appointed by the president for life. You can't get rid of them. You can't hold them accountable. And that is why they were given 
what the founders of this country considered to be the least dangerous branch, the least dangerous job. Can you believe that? Back at the time of the founding, people had like integrity and the founders actually believed that the judges would limit themselves to just taking the facts presented before them. And this is important to understand too. Judges can only answer the question presented to them. They cannot answer, you know, a lot of other questions. Sometimes people watch a, a, a case come down and they say, why didn't they do this or why didn't they do that? And the answer is that question was not presented. The, the parties get to decide exactly which question is put to the court. They have their own fact pattern. And then the court gets to decide by a vote, at least at the Supreme Court level, whether or not they will hear that case with that question with those facts. So it's a little complicated. You can find all this in the Federalist Papers, which explain what it is that your founders actually had in mind. But they would not have envisioned that the courts became a second legislature. That is exactly what they're not supposed to do. When we talk about separation of powers, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about the legislature makes the law, the executive branch, which is your president in all of the agencies or your governor at the state level in all of the agencies, execute the laws. And then the judges just say what the law is. That's all they're supposed to do. So the founders believed, again, that we can appoint these people for life because they're not dangerous. All they can do is what the legislature has given them to do. That is all. And that is not what is happening. Moreover, I am very concerned about lawfare. Lawfare, which is the use of courts or the misuse of courts to abuse people or to harm people who are politically on the other side of us or otherwise our enemies. Just because someone is sued doesn't mean they did what they're accused of doing at all. In fact, that's why we have the courts to determine if the allegation is true. Same in a criminal case. But the headlines are already out there. If you are sued, if you are charged, if you're indicted for such and such, people believe right right away. The question is, did they do such and such? Right? Already, questions are raised just by virtue of the allegation, just by virtue of the report, the headline. And a lot of people don't read beyond the headlines, unfortunately. A a shocking number of people, especially the young, will confess on opinion polls or surveys that they don't read beyond the headlines. That's terrifying. And there are a lot of people who know that. There are a lot of people in the media business who know that. Think about that. If you understand that, then it doesn't much matter what the articles say. What really matters is what the headlines say. And so, if you had endless, an endless font of money, you can butress any narrative with just the right amount of money. That's all you need. You take, you know, big pot of money, create, let's say, I don't know, 100 blogs, media personalities, Twitter personalities. You pay them 
The source of funding might be all from the same place. They might even share addresses. It's basically all the same operation, just incorporated with a hundred different names. And they, they offer a hundred different opinions. And it makes it look like a chorus of millions, right? When they dominate the headlines. And this can also be done at major organizations, major news organizations. The amount of personal and private funding that goes into what you see as news, as, as you know, opinion journalists, a lot of times these aren't just people you know, running around earnestly looking for the truth and giving you their impression. I mean, this is often bought and paid for advocacy. And so be very skeptical, very skeptical. And just because someone is accused of something in the press and just because someone's sued for something or someone is indicted for something, please understand under our law, that doesn't mean that they actually did what they're accused of. In fact, the plaintiff or the prosecutor or whoever must go to court and meet a threshold burden of proof to get a positive result or to win in court. And in the case of a prosecutor, winning is not the goal, actually. The, the prosecutor's job is to do justice. Do justice. And that means if you go through the process, the adversarial process, the, the fact-finding process, and you learn that a person is in fact not guilty of whatever you have probable cause to believe they were guilty of, then you have to drop the case. And that is justice. That is the, the job. It's the job of the prosecutor is not to win and put people in jail. The job is to do justice. The job of the court is not to weight the scales of justice for one litigant or the other. It is to find the facts and get to the right result or for the jury to get to the right result in some cases. So, all right, they tell me I'm out of time. You're listening to The Jackie Daly Show. I'll be right back. You're listening to The Jackie Daly Show. Um, I'm going to tell you why I don't give investment advice. Uh, Number one, I'm not licensed to do that. And number two, um, I, I most enjoy talking about commodities, oil, gas, you know, gold, uh, corn, whatever. I really, really focus a lot on these items because this is who determines which country is a superpower, right? You have to have control of commodities, um, particularly fossil fuels. I mean, oil is by far the most traded commodity on earth. There's not even a, a close second, not even close. And this is 2024. A lot of experts told you that we would be beyond oil by now. We're not going to be beyond oil 20 years from now. It's, it's not going to happen. So I, I love talking about this, but I don't advise you how to invest. And I want to explain to you in very drastic terms why Commodities investing is extremely risky. The kind of thing you should really only do if you have an expert advising you who is licensed and who knows what they're talking about 
Um, and if you have some experience, I would say, you really need to dive deep before you get into this. Um, you know, I've, I've been very proud and happy about my investments. And because I don't listen to prevailing narratives, I think I've done really well. Uh, I know which way the herd is running because of headlines that are misleading. And so if you know that, but you know that the truth is somewhere else, you run to where the good stuff is. The herd runs to the false promises about other options. Well, I'm just going to give you very quickly. Okay, let's start with the true story. True story. I know someone who is a conservative media personality, not specializing in fossil fuels at all or or energy and environment, Um, just a conservative media guru. This person, before coming to media, had been a finance guy, international global finance, specializing in commodities and a little other other stuff too, uh, but really knew what he was doing. Uh, Told me that sometime, I guess it was uh, late 2020 or early 2021, somewhere in there, he was watching what was happening worldwide, not believing false narratives. He bought coal, like took his entire investment portfolio, which was a significant amount of money, and rather than keeping it diversified, which is the wisest thing you can do in the long term, particularly if you're not an expert. Okay, again, I'm not giving you advice. I'm telling you what the experts advise, okay? Let me be clear. Um, he put everything into coal, seeing the writing on the wall at the time. And guess what? That year, coal went up 160%. 160%. The only reason I think that's possible is because there were so many false narratives, especially about coal, right? Coal is the stepchild of the commodities. It, it, is the, it is the most hated of all fossil fuels. It is the redheaded stepchild of all fossil fuels. And all fossil fuels are stepchildren. But this one is the one really scorned. So that was amazing. I mean, it's very rare that you see any individual commodity or, or any investment surge 160%. Imagine how much money you would be holding if you could change your money your money, your, your investment portfolio by that percentage. I, I remember I went to um, a certain big bank and asked for financial advice for the money I was holding in their bank. And they said to me, what are your goals? I said, well, what do you think my goals should be? They said a 4% return annually, 4%. I told them I was not interested in that. I'm telling you, my friend, uh, depending on when he bought in, could have made up to 160% in one year. However, what happened the next year? Down 48%. And the following year, down another 9.9%. So coal has been all over the place. But commodities, you know, even for commodities, 160% is crazy. Um The only thing more impressive than that over the past 10 years in terms of commodities is lithium. Lithium surged 
442% in 2021 in one year. Whoa. The next year, up another 72%. So two years in a row, lithium was the top performing commodity. Why? Because of the craze over electric vehicles. And uh, it's also a big deal in electronics and will remain so for a long time because of the hype behind electric vehicles, which I I think now is kind of losing its shine a bit. Last year, lithium was the biggest loser at negative 81%. So you see how this works? You can skyrocket with a commodity for a year, maybe two, and then tank. So there are factors all around the world. I mean, the, the decisions of governments all around the world and how they regulate the mining of lithium, the use of lithium, or mandate products that need it, you would have to keep your eyes on all of that kind of stuff. This is what experts do day in and day out all day long. I have a network of friends who do this for a living. That's probably why I've done well. Uh, but I do ne- I never, ever, ever recommend to you, let me be clear, any investment, and certainly I would uh, not be responsible for telling you to invest in commodities. I've done it myself. I will continue to do so. But that's just my story. I do not make recommendations. If you, if you are not sufficiently terrified of investing in commodities without proper guidance, I pulled this table. It's a beautiful, it's called the Periodic Table of Commodities Returns 2023. You can find this at Bloomberg and U.S. Global Investors. They report this information. Um, <clears throat> I mean, this will terrify. This, this table will terrify you. Unless you're prepared to watch your investments fluctuate wildly. Um, few people have the stomach for this. What the, uh, what the periodic table here says in this publication uh, from U.S. Global Investors, they say this volatility aligns with the principle of mean reversion. Mean reversion. Uh, mean as in like an average. This means where returns tend to revert to their average levels over time, right? So if it's a commodity, it's both seasonal and cyclical. And then watch out for the wars, Watch out for the wars. I don't care what anyone tells you. Most wars are fought over commodities or the pathways for moving commodities. I don't know. Shipping lanes, pipeline routes, important things like this. That's what you're not told about. There's always a big sideshow and a narrative and a story and a drama about what people are fighting about. Um, I, I will always encourage you in any conflict or war, Pick a country. You see something blows up in, uh, you know, I don't care if it's uh, Ukraine or if it's Mali. Do a quick search, a quick dive at what kind of commodities uh, these countries have and would be worth fighting over. I mean, Mali is in the gold belt. There's a lot of gold there. You know, you ever see Blood Diamond? Ukraine has shale formations, and has a lot of things worth fighting over, actually. Um, If you just saw a map, I saw a beautiful map, commodities in Ukraine. You can do this anywhere. Pipeline routes are a really big deal in Ukraine. So, you know, Europe has become dependent upon Russia for its natural gas to stay alive in the wintertime. 
And a lot of that passes under Ukraine. It's huge, strategically. It's huge. And Russia has been willing to shut off the gas to Europe when Europe doesn't do what it wants. That's the way it works. He who has the gold makes the rules, runs the gravy train. You wouldn't know it by how the U.S. behaves, but for most of the world, that's how it works. So again, I encourage you, if you're interested, it's called the Periodic Table of Commodities Returns 2023. U.S. global investors, um, they're sourcing to Bloomberg. Beautiful color-coded graph showing you wild fluctuations in oil, gas, coal, lithium, uh, corn, copper, palladium, silver, wheat, platinum, nickel, you know, the things you need, the things that really uh, make the world go round, literally. Like, you cannot run the economy without this stuff. It's worth looking at, if you care at all about investing. Uh, please take a look. All right, I have to go to break. You're listening to The Jackie Daly Show. You're listening to The Jackie Daly Show. And listen, in that last segment I just did about lithium and uh, coal and gas and oil prices and why you should be super, super careful uh, about them, I, I really should have left uh, or, or not left out in that segment you should check out my video coming out next week with Mark Mills of the Texas Public Policy Foundation, also Manhattan Institute. I'll have it up on YouTube, uh, Rumble. You can link from the website, JackieDaily.com, where you know Mark Mills is one of the smartest guys out there when it comes to the energy transition. If you're interested in climate policy, he's the guy who cuts through all the BS and can tell you what's actually happening. He will argue that there is no energy transitioning uh, transition happening. That might sound crazy to you because of all the thousands of headlines to the contrary. But if you study Mark Mills, he has wonderful stuff. It's just single publications that can lay it out for you. Um, the hard math of minerals, the, you know, the new magical uh, clean energy economy. He'll explain to you you know what? We have plenty of minerals in the Earth's crust for all the things we want to do. But the truth is, we would have to multiply mining tenfold to even begin to have all the lithium and nickel and cadmium and everything else you would need to do the things that governments are mandating in the green transition. Literally, they're mandating things that we don't have the physical materials to do. And what he's saying is, it doesn't appear if you look around that very many people are even trying to do the mining permits, invest in the mines to make this happen. It's almost like the people who really understand what's happening at the 500,000-foot level know this is never going to happen, at least not as advertised, not on time. There's no way. And so I just saw where the state of Arkansas is opening a lithium mine it's a really big deal for them. 300 mining jobs. Other governors, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, promoting this. Governors love investment. That's a lot of what they do. They go all over the country and all over the world, inviting foreign companies to invest, or even countries like sovereign states, to invest in their state. And they view that as success. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. 
Some technologies are good for America, some are not. Some countries are great uh, to have as partners to invest in your country, and some are not. So I'm really 50-50 on this business of courting uh, foreign investment. I mean, I can see times when it's wonderful and times when it is not. So um, anyway, again, my video with Mark Mills. Next week, we'll release it. YouTube, Rumble, website, JackieDaily.com. We'll link you over there. So, okay, wanted to just say that for a moment before I moved on. Um, Let's see. Texas is leading the country in finally taking control of what your kids are being taught. Everywhere I go, people are complaining about the brainwashing that can go on in public schools, public universities, or even private schools and private universities, namely, among many things, um, if you would scrutinize your kids' textbooks, and some of you did during COVID, this is where it all came to light because they were zooming in from home, you will find that everywhere you turn, just like on television, there is negative messaging about fossil fuels, climate change, oil, gas, coal. States like Texas, they get huge, like $32 billion um, surpluses, mostly because of their oil and gas severance taxes, don't appreciate the negative teaching to school children in Texas about one of the primary economic drivers of the state. So there's a hard push here, and I remember it very well, at the state house that finally succeeded. Literally, there are going to be changes uh, because of objections by legislators to the textbooks that Texas kids listen to. And there's an effort to push this out across the country, not just Texas, but elsewhere. And so I'm reading uh, some of the coverage from the AP. And I have to say, this stuff sounds very modest to me. It doesn't go nearly as far as it probably needs to. But the Texas Education Board approved brand new science textbooks um, and called on some publishers to remove material that legislators criticized as being incorrect or negative portrayals of fossil fuels in this, the U.S.'s biggest oil and gas state. Uh, Five million kids are educated here, a thousand school districts. And what's funny is actually none of them are obligated to use textbooks approved by the Board of Education. I kind of like that. I, I don't like centralized control. I think the more you decentralize power, the safer it is. At least that way, the the brainwashing activists have to approach 1,000 school boards and persuade them to teach false information rather than just persuading, you know, a 15-member board. This is what happens. Activists find the centers of power. The more centralized things are, the easier it is to hijack them. That's why they like to concentrate things in D.C., rather than decentralizing them to the states or to the local governments. That's dangerous. I, I, I tell all the young kids who ask me, because they know I, I enjoy politics, they say, what's the difference between a Democrat and a Republican? Well, there are many. But the biggest difference, at least in terms of day-to-day governance, at least in the platforms, okay, not what they actually do, but what they say, is that Democrats want to centralize Everything. 
everything in Washington to a handful of elites. Republicans want to decentralize almost everything as much as possible. Example, the Obama administration was the most stark. They wanted the government to take over everything. Health care, Obamacare. Take over, you know, the Department of Education expansion. Take over student loans. Take over the auto industry. Take over the banks. Take over everything. There's, there's not one thing that they couldn't find some way to get their hands in to control from D.C. Unelected, nameless bureaucrats that you cannot hold accountable. That is their move. Look at their platform. That's the plan for just about everything. That is their answer for just about everything. Central planning. And that means taking power and decisions from the people and giving it to an elected small group of elites who are easy to co-opt. By contrast, Republicans opposed all of those things and wanted to either not take the power in the first place or give it to the states or keep it with the states or even the local governments. This way, if you have some very bad actor or force moving to take over your government, instead of lobbying, you know, a five-member board at a federal agency, they're going to have to lobby 100,000 school districts across the country to get things done and slow it down. That's good. So decentralization is a conservative force. It conserves things. It's harder to change by far. It would take, you know, a thousand times more money at least and time and people. Okay, back to back to uh, Texas textbooks. So the textbooks are going to give a more balanced view of climate change and fossil fuels. Um, of course, publishers don't like that. One publisher that did not make the cut criticized the Texas Board of Education over a lesson that asked students to, to write a pretend story warning family and friends about climate change. The Texas Board of Education voted to reject this textbook on that basis. That's going way too far. Uh, some of the books that were approved had to make changes. <clears throat> Wayne Christian, who was on the show last week, Texas Railroad Commissioner, the top oil and gas regulatory body on earth, said this, quote, America's future generations don't need a leftist agenda brainwashing them in the classroom to hate oil and natural gas. Then there was Aaron Kinsey. He's a Republican board member and executive of an oil field services company. So at least there's one person on this board who uh, would be sympathetic or at least understand oil and gas. He voted to reject a personal finance textbook because of how it depicted the oil market. He also called a line describing energy conservation as necessary to achieve energy independence as a, quote, half-truth, unquote. The National Science Teaching Association, that's 35,000 science educators, urged the board to, quote, not allow misguided objections to climate change to impede the adoption of science textbooks in Texas. Well, I'm sure we all care about that. All right, I am out of time. You're listening to The Jackie Daly Show.